Church family, would you stand with me this morning and turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation, not Revelations, like some of y'all say. It's just one, one revelation of Christ the Lord. Recently, our worship leader, Lauren, was on the stage and told us of a dream uh, that she had that was so vivid that she was, she woke herself up saying the phrase, the king is coming, the king is coming. And what some of you understood, some may not, that the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of them is prophecy, which is not just the foretelling of God's word, but the foretelling. And sometime our subconscious man will hear something before our conscious man will. And I believe that that was prophecy for us to remind us that our Christ is at the door. Revelation 22, beginning with verse 10. And he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. And he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. That word quickly means readily, soon, without delay. Behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Before you're seated this morning, I want to tell you that we live in an age where prophecy is is opposed or ignored by the world and diminished by the church. We act as if it's uh, not important. It's not in vogue today to speak of the scriptures of prophecy, although 27% of the Bible is prophetic. 1,817 verses deal with prophecy, but we, you know, I've even had people told other people, I just, I can't be on Pastor John's Facebook. He, I just, I have a life to live today, and I just, you know, all this talk about heaven, Christ coming, it's just, it's just too much. I just, I want this world now. But the purpose of prophecy, and it is God's intention to give it to us, is history before it happens. It's telling you what is to come. It's to reveal the hidden, to enlighten the ignorant, to chart and navigate the present, to observe God's omniscience to encourage the consecrated, and to bring ultimate, consummate glory to Christ Jesus the Lord. This is quite a challenge for your pastor because this subject is so broad and you could literally take a year easily to do it. But I'm going to ask this of you. You need to get all of them together. And so my temptation is to try to preach it instead of preach slash teach slash share if if 
I don't communicate it, if you don't hear it, it's of no effect. And so I wanted you to make the commitment to come and to be looking in your scriptures during the week and pray for me that this will bring us into full preparation. Because in an hour in which you think not, the Son of Man cometh. And unto them that look for him shall he appear without sin unto salvation. You may be seated this morning. The first two messages, and my first thought was, well, Lord, you could come before I even get out the introduction, you know. And so I don't, it's like your mind will just start looping. Oh, you need to get right to the meat of it. But if Jesus tarries, I want to talk to you today about just a few key terms um, in the study of prophecy. And then next week, I want to speak to you about the dispensations that have already happened. The age of innocence, the age of accountability, those, those periods of time. And us being now in the dispensation of grace. And then we'll go right from there to the book of Daniel as well as Matthew chapter 24 and the book of Revelation as well. But prophecy, there are key terms that are pivotal for you to understand. And one of the key verses, before I give you these terms, is this. To rightly divide the word of truth. Don't take away from it. Don't add to it, but divide it. It's only math you're allowed to do. Rightly divide the word of truth. What does that mean? It means so that you'll know in prophecy what applies to Israel. You'll know in prophecy what applies to the Gentiles. You'll know what dispensation something uh, happened in and what was required there. And you'll know that Eden has been closed And you can't just claim it and find Eden. It's been closed and there's an angel there at the entrance and no one can go in. To rightly divide the word of truth. And you have to be a student, study to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You can't understand prophecy reading a devotional. Or a meme on Facebook. You have to get in and put three or four Bibles open or on a computer at the same time. And the scriptures will never contradict themselves. But they're not all saying from the same viewpoint. The gospels might take, one gospel might take the kingdom viewpoint of Israel and the millennial reign. Another might take the viewpoint from the church. The other might take the viewpoint from the world. Okay, so as we study this together... Understand that we are to rightly divide, especially in prophecy, so that we can understand the day we're living in, the hour, and so this day does not come upon us unawares. All right, number one, and this may sound oversimplified, but it's needed and necessary in in the church. The key term of prophecy is Jesus Christ. All of prophecy comes from him is about him and is fulfilled by him and culminates in him. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Then the scriptures point to his birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and then the coming again. The book of Revelation is not the revelation of things to come. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ showing you that he's not just that little 
baby in a manger in plastic on your front lawn. He's coming back and he's going to tread the winepress of his wrath. It's a revelation of who Jesus is. The world has a trouble with Jesus the Savior. You're really going to have trouble with the king. You're going to really have trouble with the final judge and the authority of all men. And every man's knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. There's so many names of him and they all mean a different thing. But the word, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and full of truth. The lamb that the, ever since the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and God slaughtered uh, an animal and clothed them with the skins, it instituted that sacrifice that was to come. God spoke about it in the garden uh, of the, the seed of the woman that was to come that would bruise the head of Satan, that would redeem mankind in and of itself. The spotless lamb. And all through the thousand plus years, you know, of them inspecting that lamb and making sure its ears were perfect and its knees were perfect and its feet were perfect because it had to be perfect because that typified the perfect Jesus that was to come and be slain for us. Jehovah Jesus. Uh, this is something, you don't have to build a doctrine out of it, but do a study. Uh, understanding Jesus Christ. Jehovah in the Old Testament is Jesus in the New Testament. So, Okay, where's some of my scholars here? Jehovah Jireh is what? Okay, Christ was not only the offerer, he was the offering. And he provided your salvation. Jehovah Sidkenu means what? The Lord, thank you Jimmy, the Lord my righteousness. And Christ has been made our righteousness. And the righteousness of of God in Christ Jesus has been... uh, given to us and swapped out for us, all right? Uh, Jehovah Nissi, peace. And Christ, who is our peace, you see? So all that Jehovah was to the natural people of Israel, understand that Jesus was showing you himself, that's in the natural form, he is to the, to, to the church, the spiritual body and his bride, Christ is the preeminent figure. Everything points to him. Everything is about him. Everything should culminate in him. And churches are diluted and polluted today and are powerless, not because of their method, but because they got the message wrong. The message isn't me and you. The message is Christ the Lord. In the church, let the Lord receive glory in the church. He's Savior. He's bridegroom. Longing for his bride. There's a thing. um, Y'all forgive me. I'm just going to have to juggle some of it. It's it's prevalent now. That talk about heaven and Jesus is coming has a negative connotation. It beats all I've ever seen. I don't understand it. Except that the mystery of iniquity is at work. And because uh, iniquity abounds, the love of many are growing cold. Well, I just, you know, I just don't like to talk about that. We have a, a bridegroom longing to be with his bride. 
See, I, I've got to study prophecy in that aspect as well. You think a bridegroom would let his bride be tortured and, 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 well, and fall under the wrath of God? The same wrath that he paid for? He's not only bridegroom, but he's king. The Old Testament is Jesus foretold. The Gospels are Jesus as the Son of Man. The Epistles are Jesus explained. And Revelation is Him revealed. Everything is from Him, by Him, of Him and unto Him. And a Gospel that is not centered on the person of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, the worship of Jesus, is a false Gospel and or religion. If your prophetic timeline and study is about men, then you're off center. It's everything is like a vacuum, a vortex that pulls into Christ, the plan of Christ. Yes, we're the redeemed, but what makes that glorious is not the word we. It's that we were part now of his story. History is made. Secondly, a key term in prophecy is the war. Genesis 3, 15. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. This is what he said to the serpent now. You have the serpent, the reptile, and you have the serpent, Satan, which somehow inhabited and spoke through this creature. And God cursed the serpent, the reptile, that it would crawl upon its belly and cursed Satan with this phrase. And I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The foretelling of Christ, Christ the Savior, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, that Savior in the garden was explained as Satan trying to stop the redemption of man from coming and Jesus stepping on his head. Yeah, there was a nip at his heel. And he lived to some degree in public disgrace. There was a nip at his heel when they dragged him out publicly and they beat him to the point where he was unrecognized and they whipped him and the flesh hung off his back and they stretched him out wide and hung him high for mine and your account and they spat upon him and mocked him and put a reed in his hand as a mock scepter and they pushed the crown of thorns onto his head that Satan was nipping at his heel. But that, those thorns that went into his head, they pushed them into his head. The thorns being a symbol of the curse of the earth. My Jesus lifted it up off the earth and lifted the curse for those that would be in him. And the curse no longer uh, has the final say in our, in our lives. The war, Satan and Jesus. See, when you study prophecy, you need to understand that God is foretelling how he's going to overcome Adam's failure and Satan's usurping. Satan, the angel, the cherub that covered, if not the preeminent, one of the preeminent angels, uh, that none was adorned like him. And some commentators feel that designed in his form were instruments, that when he worshiped before the Lord and he moved, it made melody and harmony before the Lord. And he, until wickedness was found in his heart and said, I will ascend unto the hill of God. I'm going to be like God or replace God. 
And this war, when he was cast down from heaven with one-third of the angelic host, an innumerable amount of angels have now come, and their sole purpose is for God's will not to be done. For, for what has been foretold, if you have a Bible, don't you think he knows what's in it? That Christ will come and Christ will reign. And these promises that were made. And you are part of a cosmic battle. This battle isn't about where you live. Oh, the devil's after me. My car ain't running. Maintenance it. It's not. The devil's not. The battle's not about your disposition. And I'm sorry. Uh, and where you work. And see, I, I, I use daft humor, I guess to get you the place but if if that's your context of reading scripture and you're going to try to to understand prophecy with that mindset there's a war going on a cosmic war in the heavenlies between satan and christ and his church is the light he said to us you're the light of the world now you're the city set on a hill and the opposition that we face is because of our person, our position, and our, 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 war, our warring against him. Anything that ascends to the place of God or tries to usurp God is satanic. Christian celebrity-ism. Anything that says, uh, you know, and... Y'all only get one chance to pastor you. I don't, I don't mean this offensive. It's just the truth. Any religion and, and Catholicism that says, you know, that uh, Christ needed a co-mediator and marries the co-mediatrix as if he couldn't fulfill his own covenant. Now I got to go get the priest to absolve my sins or Pastor John. You don't need me to, you might as well shake a donkey's tail and shake my hand or burn a candle. I, I don't have anything to do with that. Anything that ascends and says, I'll be like God. What is your truth? I'd step back from those people. Oh, well, Jesus said, I am the truth. So to have your truth ascends. The spirit of this age, here's what you need to see now. This is all going to tie together over the weeks if Jesus tarries. The spirit of the age is the spirit of Antichrist. That Christ did not come, the resurrected Christ, the Lord Christ, the kingly Christ, the ruling Christ. He doesn't ask your opinion. Not at, your people say, and the Lord asked me what my opinion was, and I was like, no. Anything that replaces him, usurps him, challenges him. I love in the book of Revelation, anytime a, a saint, even here's, here's an angelic being that pulses with the resplendent glory of God. And they'd say, man, get up off your feet. I'm just like you. What do you mean? You're, you're looking at different levels of glory when you ought to be looking at Jesus. So this spirit of the age which elevates you and you need a new dispensation and you need a new level and you need a new uh, advancement. and you No, we need to see Christ clearly and to take our position. I am a son and I am a servant and I am a soldier. But my life, it is in him 
that I live, move, and have my being. He does not exist for me. I exist for him. Now, I know this is elementary. I I know it is. But you're not going to understand prophecy if you don't get this. The war that's going on in our age is to replace God's Christ with a effeminate Christ, with a non-binary Christ, with a sinful Christ, with a weak Christ. And we need to see him as his person. Christ was all masculine. I know those little French drawings in the front of your King James Bible got him looking a little light in the loafers, but that was not him. That was not him. You don't beat a man within one stripe of his life and him not be all man. And when he comes back, he's not coming as the lamb. He's coming as a lion and as a king. And if you look at the scoreboard right now, it looks like our Lord is losing. But I understand through prophecy that just because someone may be winning, it doesn't mean they're going to win because somebody else may have the A-bomb or the nuclear bomb or something. And Christ, when he comes back, listen, the brightness of his coming. And the just speaking will obliterate all that have gathered in the valley of Megiddo. And, and blood will run 200 miles to the bridle of a horse. How does that fit with your modern day, have a cup of coffee, Jesus? You know, I'm just going to come into church late, leave early. Hey, I, I just... I, 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 I think we're just so diluted that we don't see where we are, who we are. And I feel so unqualified. I don't know how to get us all together to the place where we can see it clearly. You are a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And y'all, y'all can see Charles... Is getting real close. You know, they, they moved from Nebraska to start a church, and he's getting real close. I thought he was going to start one this Sunday. And I thought it was just going to say, we're starting right now. Jeff started, they started, you know, a couple weeks ago. Charles will be soon doing that. But my point is, you're a soldier, and we don't believe that. See, we, we who are just now coming into discipleship, we are enamored with, rightly so, being sons and daughters of God. But that ain't all you is. You're supposed to be a servant. My kids are my kids. They're not quite servants yet. They don't do nothing. <laughs> they can't be no more mine than they are today. But they are sorry as dirt. Oh, I love them. 11 and 9. You ask them to do something. Uh, uh, what? Like you're going to fall out? This, can I just take a break? I know we're doing heavy stuff. This generation, man. And the last one before it, and well, let's just say the two before it, from about 20 years back. A little boy come in. Boy, now he's probably in his 20s. Come in, was in church not too long ago. And he just, he looked like he'd been whipped with pasta. You know, wet pasta. He just, he couldn't see the bruises, but he was, I said, what's wrong with you, man? 
Pastor, I'm so tired. I said, man, you look at it. You look like death on a soda cracker. What's wrong with you? I just, I'm, just so, I'm just worn out. I worked a double yesterday. I said, man, those will kill you. You know what that rascal said? Nine to 12 and one to four. I said, man, that ain't no double. That's not even a single. Wait, a double. Now, you know if I get you laughing, I'm about to show you something, right? You, you sit in front of your Bible and post one meme to Facebook about, rightfully so, our sins are forgiven. But you're supposed to be a soldier. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be a servant. A servant who lives for his master's pleasure and approval and for his increase. A soldier who defends the name of God, the word of God, and the ways of God to all enemies, both foreign and domestic. No confusion. Well, I just, I don't think I'm a soldier. Well, you're not a good one. You're either a good one or a bad one. You're either faithful or unfaithful. You're either powerful or weak. And in prophecy, you have to understand. Remember the old song we used to sing, We're in the Army of the Lord? Some of y'all AWOL. Well, I just don't want to talk about the, the valley, uh, the battle of Armageddon and such. Well, we're not going to fight in it. We're coming with the king coming back. But the, you need to understand there's a war, and it's not for your happiness. The war is over the glory that's to be reserved for Jesus Christ. That's why we speak up. That's why we stand up. That's why we stand out. That's why we uh, endure rejection and we follow him outside the camp of popularity, bearing his reproach. There's a war and since the beginning to contaminate the messianic bloodline. We'll be getting into Genesis chapter 6 later when the sons of God, the Ben Elohim, the angels came down and the Bible says they took to themselves uh, the daughters of men and they made giant offspring, giants, men of renown, men of eternity, men of, of old, men of valor. And some commentaries and commentators believe that, that they say that's just the sons of Seth, but I believe it was more than that. There's, it's Satan trying to in my opinion, there's, there's no other way to explain it because every time the word the sons of God is mentioned in the scripture, that, that word means angels. And then this time, no, it means Seth. No, it, you can't do that to Bible interpretation. But the point was, if we can defile the bloodline, then Christ will have the defiled blood. You see? That comes through that, that Mary will be defiled. So when Noah and his family was on the ark, he was perfect in his generation. Well, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Where was his perfection? In his DNA, in his blood. He was undefiled. Herod trying to kill all of the babies. Uh, in Egypt, trying to kill all of the children. Uh, Herod at the time of Jesus' star appearing. Everything is to keep Christ from his place. Everything is to keep Christ from his preeminence. To, and the church is to make his name great. And instead of doing that, we're branding. I don't, I don't want no brand. 
Christ's chapel is not the story. It's the Christ of the chapel that's the story. And the war perpetually, supernaturally inspired hatred of Israel and above all peoples. And there's so much to get into there. But the one-third of the fallen angels would now operate as principalities, rulers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places are ever opposing God, his people, his church, things foretold, and the truth of his word. We are at war. You are wrestling not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, trying to keep you from being an effective, faithful servant to the Lord. Because that is the only reward that awaits you. I'm not going to be rewarded in heaven for what Jesus did for me. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me. When I come, I'm bringing it with me. To give you according to your works. Every man according as his work shall be. Your works of service. Your works of warfare. Your works. There's a war going on. And the Lord sees those that have found a safe place in their subdivision with two or three cars in the driveway, nice SUVs, manicured lawn. And the Lord gets not even 1% of their affection, attention, resources, or time. We're in the last hour before the return of the Lord. We are to be not just without sin, but occupying till he comes. I, I, I love what Charles, you know, when he got, I can't, can't do it no more like I used to. I, I could match him when I was young. I'd take that mic from him and go, uh, I, I want hell to know my name. I love when those demons said, Paul, we know. Paul is bad. Don't mess with Paul. That's what the demons said. Said, Jesus we know and Paul we know. Does hell know your name? I know heaven knows it. Does hell, do the principality say, don't mess with that single mama. She'll have five other mamas over at her house the next day and they'll be praying to the king of kings. They'll bow their knees to the Lord Jesus. They'll, they'll, don't mess with them. You mess with that guy, he'll start another church. You mess with this one, they'll take their resources and fund missions. Don't, don't, this one you don't tangle with. Number three, we're only doing four, by the way, for those keeping count. And then next week, dispensations. Next week will be like more clipboard uh, instruction. Then we're going to get into the heart of the things to come, okay? But you understand Jesus Christ. That's the key term of all prophecy. Don't view prophecy as what is to come primarily. That's way down the list. It's Jesus Christ and the war for his place, the war for his presence, the war for his, uh, his uh, history, the war for how he's perceived, the war for his glory. Uh, the reason there's anti-Christ is in the opposite, the opposing, the replacing of Jesus. Everything is after him but it can only get his heel because he wins. Israel, the nation that sprang through Abraham. All right, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender here, okay? 
make everybody just a little mad. Israel, Jacob, the Jews started with Gentiles. Abram was a Gentile. He was a pagan. He was steeped in occultic religion. And God chose him and appeared to him and called him. And that lets you know right there, the, the father of the faithful, it wasn't that we're looking for God. It's that God looks for us and finds us and rescued us. And he called him. He made a people out of people who were not his people. Okay? Abram, his name meant father, which was odd. You know, they named him father and he was sterile. He couldn't have children. And isn't it just like God, you know, he could have said, could have said, Abram's, you know, uh, Jehovah, they, they've named me wrong my whole life. They said, I'm a father and I'm not a father. He said, oh, they misnamed you all right, but it's not what you think. You're not Abram, father. You're Abraham, father of a nation. Because Abraham, I've called you. And I've elected you. And I'm going to make a pick. Come out here. Tell me how many stars you see, son. I can't count them. That's what your seed's going to be like. In the sand of the ocean, the sand of the beach, that's what your, your seed is going to be like. Israel was not special. In Abraham, they were pagan. What made them special is election. And what makes you special is not you, but it's in who called you and who saved you and who brought you unto itself. Okay? The natural people of God elect. So their esteem comes not from them but from the election process. So the Gentile became a Jew. Okay? The eternal people of God elect and given the land of Canaan forever. It doesn't matter what the news tells us. It doesn't matter how they divide it up and they try to... You know you're only seeing the clips they want you to see. You know you're... Misinformation, disinformation, incomplete information and false information with a dab of truth, and all you got is poison. We don't know what's going on. You just don't know what's going on. But this I know. When God called Abram, who was pagan, out of the land of the Ur of Chaldees and said, I'm going to take you to a land that I've reserved for you and preserved for you. And Israel belongs to Israel. It's not, it's not a political statement. It's a fact. It's a historical proven fact. Now, elect, when you speak of Israel, elect does not always equate with good or better. Election has to do with God more than it has to do with man. I esteem Israel not because of Israel, but because of God's election. There's the honor of Israel is for the God that called them. Now, now what I'm going to tell you, do, do not misquote me. I am pro-Israel in every way. But that doesn't mean that Israel is good. That doesn't mean that they're right in every geopolitical stance. It doesn't mean... Now, if you, if you look at this, what kind of uh, warrior drops pamphlets from the sky saying, hey, y'all get out of town, we're about to bomb... 
we don't want anybody to be hurt. That shows a lot about the heart. But you can't get hung up on this because they're elect. Just like church folk are elect, but all of them ain't good. Okay. So elect does not equate with good or better. Now here's the part you need to understand. When the tribulation comes, the seven-year period divided at the three-and-a-half-year mark, it is the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble, and the hour of trial to come upon the earth. Okay. God won't allow anyone to be guiltless that harms Israel at all, even with their speech. But God will judge Israel. They are beloved, and they are slated for judgment. The tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. Who are they in trouble with? God. For they have rejected Messiah. And it's in the tribulation period, when all the nations surround, and Jesus tells them, when you, when you hear of this, don't even go down in your house to get a coat, and pray that your flight be not in winter or on the Sabbath. And God has hollowed out a place to save them. They will, many of them will be brutally murdered. This is a time of great sorrow. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm. Um, very quickly, let me just tell you this. It's just church stuff. I remember in the 80s, late 80s, it makes me 103, I think, in the late 80s, they sang a song, and they did it joyfully. Had a little Jewish, you know, blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Everybody, sound the alarm. I studied that year. I, I, I said, Pastor, why are we singing this? He said, what? I said, here comes God. He's going to kill us, kill us. Here comes God. He's so angry with us. Blow the trumpet. We're all going to die. Sound the alarm. And you know what he told me? You know what he told Seriously. He goes, well, they like it. And I'm not saying that to speak evil. Of me, but you know, that's like the church is today. We don't even know what the scriptures mean. We don't even know. No, he said, blow the trumpet. God's wrath. The enemies are coming. But here's the difference. In the tribulation and in the great tribulation, God will use unspeakable sorrow and pain and calamity to turn Israel back towards the direction where when they see their Christ... They'll look upon him whom they pierced when he comes to the valley of Megiddo to fight the battle of Armageddon. And Israel will be saved in a day. In one day. All these things are culminating now. And Israel is not, listen, is not the church. And the church is not Israel. Now, I, I, I truly don't want to offend I'm, but I, listen, when I stand for the Lord, you ain't going to be there. You understand? I'm standing by myself. Okay. You can't become a Jew because you decide to. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jew, and I'm going to wear a shawl. No. Nope. Wasn't you born in Columbus? Yeah. Well, you're not, you're not a Jew. No. No, I, I'm a Jew. No, I can respect and follow and be a student of the Old Testament and glean everything from it. I'm a Gentile. Okay. 
a, a Jew can become a Christian, but a Christian cannot become a Jew. Now, well, the Bible says we're engrafted in. Yeah, but I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. Who am I? The Gentile. Engrafted. Okay. So I don't become a Jew, but he makes, the Bible says, twain one new man. But Israel and the earthly people remain. So from Israel comes the body, the saved out of Israel, the saved out of the Gentiles. Oh, both were Gentiles. The Jews started out Gentile. We started Gentile, making one new man. But in the millennial reign, after the return of the Lord, the destruction of all of, uh, of the foes of God in Israel, then Israel will still be here, and there will be people, humans here, and Israel will be the capital of the world, and people will fly into Israel and worship men. Not angels or glorified saints alone. Men and women and children. And they will come up the stairs of the temple and worship Jesus Christ. And Israel, God said, I have put my name there. Election. Not Macon. Not middle Georgia. Israel. So there is a reverence for that. But I'm not closer to God by putting on the shadows of the Old Testament. Hey, I'm not like Andy Stanley. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'll throw that out there. He just said, we just, we just unhitch from the Old Testament. Don't, don't follow this guy no more. It doesn't mean he didn't once have it. But he's, he's about three fries short of a Happy Meal right now. So just, I'm sorry. Hey, listen, people will die and, and, and lose their soul following false, falseness. So, so when, where was I? So what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, we, we, we don't, you know, okay, I'm not going to go to the shadows. I'm going to study the Old Testament to understand what the shadows mean. Let me give you an example. Paul said, let no man judge you according to uh, new moons or holy days or Sabbaths. Well, we're supposed to worship on Saturday. Well, of course you can worship on Saturday. Well, we're supposed to worship on Saturday. Who? The Jews were set apart to worship on Sabbath. On Sabbath. For the Christian... I can worship on Tuesday. Now, Sunday's not the holy day. People say Sunday's the Sabbath. No, it isn't. Saturday's the Sabbath. But no man said, now watch. Why would I go back to the shadow of the Sabbath when Christ is my Sabbath, whereby I enter into and I have no works? That's what Sabbath means. So I enter into the Sabbath like the Jew did. He couldn't do any works there. Why? It was pointing to the Sabbath where we come in, we cease from our labors, and we rest. Christ is my Sabbath. I see them, you know, Christians now, I'm not talking about Jews, put on a shawl and cover themselves. Christ is my covering. You see? And, and it's not, I'm not mocking at all. I promise I'm not. But we're not Jews. But now, is it wrong? To, I, I went and worshiped with Rabbi Greg the other day. He is my buddy. We, we, we are friends. He got one speed on. You go to lunch with him, and he leans across the table. I told him it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. I love him. He is a Messianic Jew, which means he was born and raised a Jew, and all that he knew of Christ is now fulfilled in Christ. And he does traditions in the light of what they mean now. Not bound by, 
but with joyful liberty. God will not hold guiltless, guiltless any who harm Israel, but he reserves judgment for himself to judge them. The judgment of Israel for rejecting Messiah will be the tribulation to turn them towards God. That's the motive. Israel is not the church, nor is the church Israel. Oh, I'm not leaving. No, I'm done. Will y'all give me just a few more extra minutes this morning? Would you? Okay. The rest of you can go on to lunch. <laughs> Israel is not the church, nor is the church Israel. One is primarily of the earth. The one is primarily above. One is tied to land. The other is to be spread out in the land. They are not the same or interchangeable. One has specific written laws and ordinances to govern them. The other has the laws written on their heart by the Holy Spirit. God will not hold men blameless who attack her, but he himself will even judge her more harshly. One is the nation and the other is the bride. And they cross lines sometimes from this way to do a Bible study on one new man. He's going to make one new man. Israel will always be here. Always. Say it with me. Always. God's people in the earth. And when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom and he divides the sheep and goat nations, it will be based on how they treated Israel. So see, Israel's still going to be on the scene in the millennial reign. It's going to be the place of God ruling and reigning, and the authoritarian regime will rule from there, and nations will be divided as goat nations based on how they treated Israel and the sheep nations, those that were good to Israel. And just for about the next five or seven minutes, and then we'll be done, I want to talk to you about the day of the Lord. The seven-year period, completing Daniel's 70th week. And if you want to start studying, look up Daniel's uh, 69th week, 70th week, and the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord throughout the Old Testament is always a time of sorrow and wailing and judgment. That's the tribulation period. The tribulation is a future time period when the Lord will accomplish at least two aspects of his plan. He will complete his discipline of the nation Israel, Daniel 9. And he will judge the unbelieving, godless inhabitants of the earth, Revelation 6 through 18. He will do it in his wrath. He will do it, or he'll do it in wrath, in the wrath of man, by the wrath of Satan, and then the wrath of God, which is holy wrath himself. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. I told you, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Judgment, preparation, deliverance, enlightenment, and salvation of Israel. The day of the Lord is divided into tribulation and great tribulation. And it is a seven-year period. Listen, you, you might want to write this down because this is one of those you'll refer back to. It's kind of like having a ruler. The tribulation period starts when the Antichrist, it'll be a geopolitical figure, comes on the scene and he will confirm a covenant with Israel and other many nations. It'll be unmistakable when he does this. He'll be the one that confirms it, legitimizes it. And he may not be as well known a global figure at that time as you might think. But the tribulation starts then. And the midway point is when he defiles the temple in Jerusalem. He will set up an idol, some form of idolatry. Whether it's a statue of him or he himself sitting on the mercy seat. And that's the abomination that causes desolation. 
So the tribulation, Jesus said there will be the tribulation in those days. And then Jesus speaks of great tribulation. The tribulation includes the birth pains of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilences and all those things. That's the tribulation period, which we now have birth pains of the birth pains. They're everywhere. The mystery of iniquity, the mystery of lawlessness, all of this deception. We don't even know the difference between a boy and a girl. There's such confusion and lawlessness. So when this comes to pass... And, and Antichrist stands up, and by the way, with just a smartphone, it'll be all over the world. And the same one that navigated this society, preparing us for one world commerce, one world religion, and one world... Uh, hold on. Government, thank you. One world government, no boundaries. We just don't need any boundaries, no, no boundaries. When he steps in, he's going to say, I know what I told you, that we're all God's children and everything, but I'm God. He's going to declare himself. What I tell you, the war was for the usurping. And the Antichrist is the seed of Satan. He will usurp, declare himself to be God, and then will great tribulation come upon the earth. So much so that if God did not shorten the days, none would be saved. If our musician would come, please, this morning. The mystery of iniquity, birth pains, the groundwork that's being laid right now for the one world government, one world religion, and one world economic system. Very quickly, let me just touch this for you. The reason we're bussing in, flying in, a lot of the people into our nation that are not citizens, legal citizens of the U.S., it's not about... Asylum, it's not about relief efforts. It's to get rid of boundaries. Less like the Tower of Babel. God said, spread out among the world. I said, no, we're just going to put, you know, all together. It's, it's about boundaries. It's to have one world, no real border. And see, when you see the train tracks being laid, the train's coming. One world religion is right now relativism. Whatever you believe is fine. We're all God's children. We're all saved. There's more than one way to God. And then one world commerce. I saw uh, a member of the International Monetary Fund. And they said, how soon could you, how soon could they really turn us into a cashless society? He goes, instantaneously. You just say, you, you, you stop taking all these things. And then in the day of the Lord, there's going to be a distinction between the identity, the unveiled identity and activity of the evil trinity. Now, I want to give you this as you study this week. Satan, the god of this world, seeking to be like and usurp God Almighty, poses as God. The Antichrist, the seed of Satan, the begotten son, Satan's seed, the begotten son of Satan, the man of sin, the lawless one, the Assyrian, poses as the son. And the false prophet the one who directs and inspires worship of the Antichrist does what the Holy Spirit does. The Bible said the Holy Spirit won't even speak of himself, but he'll show you things to come. He will glorify Jesus. He will reveal who Jesus is and stir the church to worship. So what's going to happen is you're going to have figures imitating, mocking, duplicating, and trying to ascend the evil trinity over that which is the divine trinity. Now I've told you all of that to tell you this. 
The church is clearly the restraining force that must be removed before Antichrist is revealed and the great tribulation unleashed upon an unbelieving Israel and an ungodly world. 1 Thessalonians uh, tells us this. No man knoweth the day nor the hour. Most people that don't want to talk about prophecy have memorized that verse. But we are not children of the night so that that day will not overtake us. Be watchful, Jesus says, because in an hour that you don't think the Son of Man cometh, in the day of the Lord, there's the rapture and the revelation. The rapture of the church is Jesus coming for his church, and in the revelation, at the end of the tribulation, he's coming with his church to the earth. It's all of, I had someone tell me not too long ago, they said, what, what is going on? What is happening? Everything as it's supposed to. The world is godless. The world is filthy. Let it be filthy still. It's going to get worse and worse. D- don't listen to this revival as they say it. It's going to sweep the world. No, the Bible says gross darkness is going to cover the land. And gross darkness, the people. But God's children are going to rise and shine. And His glory is going to be seen on them and in them. You're not going to lose. You're not going to lose. If they take your life, if you suffer in some tribulation before the great tribulation, before your feet get cold, you're with Christ. The King is coming. There's a war going on, and he won. He's not, he's going to win. He's already won. Would you stand with us this morning? Watch Israel. We may be alive to see the battle of Gog and Magog. We We may still be here. There's a battle coming for Israel's spoils. And there are several groups of people. I won't go into all of it. But all of those nations for the first time in history in the last five years are at the border of Israel working together in a military force. And if and when they attack, the Bible says that Israel won't defend itself. God will rain fire and hail. Can you imagine, watch this, can you imagine somebody out there with just a little cell phone and car-sized hail being thrown from the skies and it, it kills so many people. It takes them years to flag and get rid of the bodies. I just wonder if something like that would be the catalyst for a covenant so they're interviewing, say this atheist, doesn't believe in Jesus. They're interviewing the, all the, the commander of all these millions of people that were killed. Damascus is going to be wiped off the face of the earth, never to be inhabited again. Nothing will ever live there again, even during the millennial reign. So they're interviewing this general and says, hey, what happened to you? Did, why didn't Allah help y'all? Oh, no. <laughs> Israel didn't even fire a shot. It would appear that God is on the side of Israel. 
And if that happens that way, can you imagine that general going up to Israel? Hey, y'all want to sign a, a deal that we don't <laughs> fight no more? So watch. It's not important that we put all the pieces together beforehand. See, that's the trick. Prophecy is understood after. You go, oh, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Oh, my goodness. But we're watching. Watch Israel. Watch the world. Watch. Watch. And be ready. Be ready. Packed up. Prayed up. Mama ready to go up. Be ready. For an hour in which you think not, the Son of Man cometh. The King is coming. And He's coming for us. He's coming. Yes! He's coming personally. He's coming personally. He's coming powerfully. He's coming at a scheduled moment. At the fullness of time was come. Jesus was born of a woman made under the law. Born. She crowned, Mary crowned, right at the perfect moment. And your pastor believes with every fiber of his being that we are the terminal generation. Can you imagine being alive when Jesus was born and the majority of people didn't even know it? Could we be the generation that sees Christ come for his church? I would bet my life on it. That's all I know to tell you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. May you stir within us a hunger and desire to study the things that you have foretold. To look for the things that Jesus told us would happen. To see the messages in them. He said, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I got you. I've carved you in the palm of my hand. I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to take the time to prepare a place for you, don't you think I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself that where I am there you can be? Be encouraged. Look for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maranatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you. My weakest moment, I see you shaking your head in disgrace.